0: starting a brand new series. I can't wait for this next eight weeks. Uh, I'm excited about it. And um, I don't know how to tell you any other way, except the fact that I think if you're not going to get excited about it, you need to check your pulse because you may be dead. This is going to be so much fun. Uh, I'm having so much fun studying. I don't know. I just have a quick question. Olympic watchers, anybody in here watch Olympics? Raise your hands if you've been watching the Olympics. Um, Okay, I want to ask you to raise your hands if you hadn't been watching. Some of you don't even know the Olympics are going on. Um, We've been watching the Olympics. I'm pumped about the Super Bowl tonight because I get a break from watching the Olympics. Some of the Olympics I enjoy watching. Uh, You know, I love the, the sled that they jump on head first and 80 miles an hour down a track with just their skull and a piece of plastic. I mean, that's fun. Ice dancing, not so much. And um, my wife has become an ice dancing expert. Ice dancing was on last night. And uh, when ice dancing comes on, I zone out. And um, I was sort of wandering around the basement and Joy's paying attention and not just paying attention to the ice dancing, but paying attention to the rules, to the names of the different moves. And so Joy's talking to me and I've got her tuned out. I'm on the not interested sort of frequency. And I hear her talking, here talking. We're in the basement, she's on the couch, watching the ice dancing. And I hear her say, boy, the Russian girls Twizzlers are so much better than the American girls. And I was like, what? From the <laughs> other room. Now, I didn't know what she was talking about, but she said, hey, come on in here and take a look. Now. I don't know the rules to ice dancing, but I do know marriage rules. And I wasn't about to go into the other room to see somebody's Twizzlers. So I came walking in saying, joy XP level, bonus level marriage, I'm not interested. And she goes, no, 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 Twizzlers are an ice dancing move. You turn and twizzle and I got it, but I didn't even know the rules of ice dancing. She was so focused on the rules. I was focused on the concepts and there was no chance that I was gonna go in there and get trapped in some kind of an Olympic conspiracy. Do you know the rules? Sometimes we get so caught up in following rules. Jesus says, Jesus says, Jesus says, Jesus says. Sometimes the most obnoxious people on the face of the earth are the ones who are consumed with enforcing the Jesus rules. Sometimes you've been raised to believe that if you have more Jesus rules than other people, you win and they don't sometimes you've been trained to evaluate the world around you by who you think keeps the rules and who you think doesn't. We're going to be talking about that today and over the next eight weeks, the difference between having a relationship with Jesus and just simply following the rules. Now, Sometimes the Christian life seems like a never ending game of Jesus says, rules, rules, rules. However, when we look closely at the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we learn that Jesus offer to his first century audience is the same as his offer to us today. He invites us to have a relationship with him and it begins with a simple request. Just take one step at a time. I have some volunteers who are going to help me get started to get us off on the right foot. I need some of our staff kids to come up here uh, if I can get my helpers. We're going to do a little game of Simon Says and uh, to illustrate the point, for those of you grown ups who want to play a game, but you're not invited to come up on stage, we have a QR code for you to whip out your smartphone and take a quick little scan of the QR code, which will magically take you to a Wordle puzzle, Wordle puzzle, um, that's going to have something to do with the message and the the series, but it will also, here's a little pastor trick. Uh, pastor Jared's using some Jedi mind control on you guys. When you go to the Wordle quiz, it's going to take you to the notes section too, to give you my notes from today. So you'll have the notes from the sermon at the same time, which is kind of cool how that works out. So Grownups, if you want, you can play the Wordle quiz. Just don't do that while I'm talking. It's very demoralizing. Now, kids, we're gonna play Simon Says. Are you ready? you had some practice. We lost a few from first, you had practice from last hour. Are you ready? We're gonna play Simon Says, all right? Okay, here we go. Put your right arm on your ear, your right hand on your ear. Put your right hand on, no, you already lost. Simon didn't say that, you guys lost. Okay, Simon Says, raise your hands. Simon Says, put your hands down. Simon Says, cross your hands. Simon says, walk like a duck. Stop walking like a duck. No. Simon says, right leg up. That's your left leg. Oh, that's your right leg. Okay. Simon says, right leg down, left leg up. Up. Oh, now you're out. See, you didn't follow the rules. Okay. Here's going to be a really hard one. Okay. Simon says, one finger in the air. Simon says, two fingers in the air, three fingers in the air. Oh, that's not, Simon didn't say. You guys did a great job of Simon Says. Thank you very much. Very good, very good. Simon Says, when we reduce our Christianity to a list of do's and don'ts, a list of Jesus Says, not only do we lose the joy of a personal relationship with Jesus, but we become very obnoxious. We become very judgmental. We alienate ourselves from the world around us and find ourselves drifting far from the mission that Jesus called us to. Maybe you grew up in a church that just emphasized believing the right things and following all the rules. Maybe you were taught or told that that's what being a Christian is all about. But Jesus didn't emphasize these things. Jesus continued to issue an invitation and his invitation was simple. His invitation was, do you wanna follow me? There were many followers of Jesus. In the first century, as we read about Jesus' ministry, we know that many followed him, and over time, some slipped away. So there's a difference between following Jesus and determining or deciding that you are now a follower of Jesus. And that's a point that I wanna discuss a little bit later in our time together. But today I wanna take you to a story that I think is so revolutionary, so important, so impacting, but yet so subtle, that I know if you lean in, it's going to change the way that you think. Not just about Jesus' disciples, but about his invitation to follow and about who belongs and who doesn't. Have you ever felt like you're just not really good at playing this game? That you just can't win at church, that you're just not that good? at this relationship with Jesus thing, you always just feel one step behind, maybe just one step out. Like everyone else looks like they have it all together and what happens is we try to look like we have it all together too, which if we're not careful, creates little pockets of defensiveness, inauthenticity, hiding, and masks. Jesus changes everything I don't know how you visualize Jesus and his disciples, but I'm telling you what, they were not a holy group of people who grew up in church, who were the kind of folks who you would pick and go, these are the kids most likely to succeed. They were a rough group of people. And I don't know why Jesus chose them. It's not like they just didn't go to church. These were people who would scare you in some cases. You don't believe me? I'll prove it to you. Some who were a little rougher than maybe the polite company who you might wanna be around. Some you may not want your mom to meet or at least wouldn't wanna be associated with. The one I'm gonna talk to you today about is somebody you wouldn't even wanna see at the fair and walk around with because you would be afraid. Not only afraid that somebody would judge you because he was with you, but you'd be afraid that he'd steal your wallet when you're not looking. Or even worse, take your wallet because he could. This is a time when Jesus called one of his disciples, Matthew. Now, Matthew was not the first disciple called. We don't know the exact order of the disciples as they were called. We're not 100% sure, you know, which one was exactly first. We do know that Peter, Andrew, James and John were called before this particular story where Jesus calls Matthew. Many people think there were 6 who were called by him by then, but just keep in mind The fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James, and John were already following Jesus. They were behind Jesus, walking with Jesus into and through this story that takes place in Matthew chapter nine, and it takes place in Matthew chapter nine, but before Matthew chapter nine and Matthew chapter eight, Jesus was busy. Now Jesus was busy doing the kinds of things that Jesus did, which was reaching out and ministering to people who desperately needed, What, what did that look like? Well, he was casting out demons, he was healing people from disease. He did a huge favor or miracle for a centurion. He calmed the storm. And I mean, Matthew chapter eight, it's like just bang, 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 and all these huge miracles. And it's just crammed in one chapter. And we round the corner into Matthew chapter nine. And if you're reading the New Testament, if you're reading the Bible, my mind's kind of reeling a little bit from all of the stuff. And it's just like five or six verses per huge incident. And it's almost like you come to a screeching halt. It's almost like it's anticlimactic. It's almost, if we're not careful, just a connecting sort of a thought. But the reason it's so subtle here is because Matthew is writing about himself. And he wasn't super proud of himself. I've kind of ignored Matthew personally. I like Peter. The fisherman always puts his foot in his mouth, the leader, but somebody who, you know, kind of got himself in trouble from time to time by saying things that Jesus didn't like or corrected him. Or, you know, maybe you think of John, you know, I love John, the one who Jesus loved, who was just following Jesus around, always in the right spot and had the soft heart. Matthew, I just wasn't that interested in, but this week has changed everything for me. And I believe it will change everything for you as well. As Jesus went on from there, now, where was there? I just told you where there was, the things that he'd been doing at this point, they're in Capernaum um, near the Sea of Galilee. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and he followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Upon hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And then in another gospel, it adds sinners to repentance. We're gonna break this down a little bit. And I wanna talk to you a little bit more about some context or, or history behind this passage. It's important because to understand a person, you have to understand where they've come from. You have to understand the the situation, the setting. My grandmother is over a hundred years old and it's okay to say that she was born in the 1920s, but it's a whole lot more helpful to realize what it was like back then and how much the world has changed. So I wanna take you back to help understand what life was like back then help you understand that Jesus would like you, that if there's anything that anyone has done to make you feel like you don't belong here or inside the family of God, that it's my fault, our fault, not Jesus' fault, that the invitation that Jesus issues to relationship is one that is for you, and it will set you free. As Jesus went on from there he saw a man named Matthew and Matthew was sitting at the tax collector's booth why because Matthew was a tax collector now you know because we've talked about before tax collectors in the Bible. Bad people, right? Um, But I want to explain to you why this was such a significant kind of a tax collector or a significant kind of person. You had two different kinds of tax collectors. The first kind was one that was kind of, of sort of authorized by Rome and almost accepted by the Jews. Now, the Jews believed in what they would call a theocracy, which the Jews in the Old Testament believed that only God could be worshiped. We would agree with that. They believed that if you were occupied by a foreign government, Government, or if you were a slave, or you were a servant to another government, that your allegiance shouldn't go to them, and you shouldn't worship them. And we're like, yeah, you wouldn't want to worship Caesar. You really shouldn't worship anybody but God. But they took it so far as to say you shouldn't pay taxes to any other government except to God. You should only give your money to the church. Now, as much as I agree with giving money to the church, we also pay our taxes to our government. And in one particular case, there was a coin and a fish, and they tried to trap Jesus, these Pharisees asking Jesus, you know, what this coin was for. And Jesus said, whose name is on it? We pay taxes. We render to Caesar what's Caesar and to God's what's God's. And so these tax collectors, they were people who the Jews felt like were not just working for the, the Roman government, but These people were Jewish people who turned their back on God and not just their own tradition, but their parents' tradition, their grandparents' tradition, their great grandparents' tradition, going all the way back to Abraham and Moses and all the people who we've talked about who were the founders of this Jewish faith. And there were two types. One sounds like goodbye, it's gabi, and they uh, collected the authorized taxes. These were taxes on property, income, and breathing. They had a property tax, they had an income tax, and then they had a tax that that you had to to pay just because you were alive. It was called a poll tax. Remember when Joseph had to go to Bethlehem before Jesus was born to be counted in a a census? Um, That was because they wanted to tax him and they had to figure out if you're still breathing, you still get to pay and you have to pay these taxes. These were not really appreciated by the Jewish people, but these were, if you could say it like this, they were um, the respectable of the the despicable tax collectors. Now, tax collectors weren't allowed to testify in court. They were listed in Old Testament writings down there, literally right next to animals that were unclean to eat. I mean, these were not anybody's favorite people. They were like prostitutes, people who sell drugs behind 7-Eleven. And then you have like down here, you have tax collectors. But there were types of tax collectors. There were two types. The second type was a person who wasn't just collecting these authorized taxes, the property tax, the income tax, and the breathing tax. These were people who were a little less scrupulous, who were a little bit more physically capable, who uh, were not really worried about organizing a criminal element and creating a mafia. These were people who would extort whatever they could, however they could, just because they wanted to. And you had two types of people within this group of tax collector. I promise I'm going somewhere with this. You need to know. I haven't told you where Matthew is yet because we haven't arrived there. You had shot callers. And these shot callers were the masterminds didn't want to get their hands dirty, sometimes didn't want their faces attached with the kind of behavior that was going on, but they were the masterminds, the shot callers, and they would kind of lurk back in the shadows and tell other people what to do and collect taxes. And you're like, well, what kind of taxes? Anything they were physically capable of collecting. So they would say, you have two wheels on a cart, today there's a wheel tax. You have two stakes in your shopping basket, so today there's a stake tax. You have 45 fish in your boat or in your net, so this is the day when you pay tax on 42 fish. They had criminal elements that work for them as enforcers and you would say, I don't wanna pay and they would say, I don't care what you want. We will break you, we will take your stuff, we will find your family. There were no limits to what they could do in the shadows and behind the scenes to make you pay and they were despised and they were hated. You had shot callers and then you had enforcers. And history teaches us that it were or was the enforcers, the ones who didn't mind having their face associated with collecting the taxes, who were beyond any kind of concern about lurking in the shadows, perhaps not smart enough to be a shot caller, I don't know. And they were the ones who sat at the booths to collect taxes. And guess where Jesus found Matthew? Right there. Well, there goes your sanitized, churchy, holier-than-thou flannel graph version of the disciples, right? Could you imagine the kinds of conversations that Jesus had around the campfire with people who he decided were his best friends? Well, there was tension right off the bat. Because historians suggest that Matthew was almost certainly stationed at the north end of the city of Capernaum near the Sea of Galilee, and Jewish history tells us that tax collectors made a ton of money taxing one of the largest industries of the area, which do you know what that industry might have been? Fishing. Do you know what Peter, Andrew, James, and John did for a living? They were fishermen. So can you imagine Jesus and at least four of his new fisherman friends walking down the street, knowing that they're approaching the booth or somebody who they would have known and hated had set up business. Maybe they would have said, hey, Jesus, there's five of us and only one of him. Let's lure him out back, beat the tar out of him and take our money back. That's what I'd like to do. Maybe they said, oh, wait a second, Jesus, we didn't pay taxes on all of our fish. We need to walk the other way because this guy's a little scary and I owe him money. Maybe it was just a real surprise that Jesus chose to stop along the way and issue this really simple invitation to Matthew as he said, follow me. Now, follow me. Now, Matthew had to choose. What am I gonna do? We see in the very next verse, almost like a magic fast forward in this supernatural instant where Jesus moves from this simple invitation to a dinner party where Jesus is hanging out and eating at Matthew's house. The Bible says while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, no, whoa, whoa, wait a second. This guy couldn't even testify in court because his testimony was just automatically deemed false because he was a known liar. Somebody who you wouldn't want to walk around at the fair with, let alone introduce to your friends because you would be embarrassed to be associated with him or scared that he was gonna take your stuff. People who if you had any hope of fitting in with the religious crowd, you wouldn't even have him on your friends list on Facebook because somebody would look him up and see who his friends are and decide that you're not fit to be a follower of Christ. And here we see Jesus at Matthew's house and Matthew invites his friends. Who do you think his friends are? Well, they're fellow thugs. The Bible says sinners. And the category just means everybody that didn't really fit in church. That's a group I'm pretty comfortable in. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're sinners. We need a savior. Well, I love to think about the relationship and relationships that were going on. So I'm thinking about Peter, Andrew, James, and John, Jesus all of a sudden walking up saying, Matthew, follow me. Them hating Matthew because Matthew was a tax collector, knowing that they'd been taxed unfairly, knowing that Matthew had turned his back on the Jewish faith, knowing that they were at least trying to be good Jews, not understanding why Jesus wanted a relationship with him. All of a sudden, Jesus saying, not only are you guys my followers? But now Matthew is going to be my follower. And you used to hate each other. Remember that like 15 minutes ago? But now you're going to be best friends because the ground is truly level where? At the foot of the cross. There's something called moral foundations theory. It's super popular in universities right now. It's, it's um, a bunch of people who are super smart trying to decide what's right and wrong. How to determine what's moral, what's not moral. Right now, one of the big working theories, this moral foundations theory, there's six different constructs or ideas that most people, at least people who don't know Jesus, are using to try to evaluate whether societies are correct or incorrect, governments, decisions, ethics. And these things are super simple, almost too simple, but it's justice, compassion, loyalty, authority, purity, and liberty. And so many people get so caught up in judging Jesus because they think that there's too many rules and don't understand what Jesus stands for. But when you see the principles that Jesus stands for and the way that he reorders the things that you and I have thought for so long are so important, but, but then minimizes and shows you what's really important. These principles are so easy to embrace and this principle of loyalty is one that jumped out at me. We were born with the desire to, to hive off into groups. It's called the law of homogeneity. Birds of a feather flock together where people who are like each other choose to hang out with each other. And if you're not like somebody else, well, they don't hang out with you. Some cases it's socioeconomic status. In some cases it's where you're from. Back in a a very backwards day, it could have been the color of your skin even. Maybe it's level of education. Maybe it's whether you're a Bengals fan or whether you're a, a Rams fan today. I have friends with a divided household, but there's a desire, almost an innate sort of a, of a drive for us to have loyalty toward some and animosity toward others. And Jesus is redefining this concept of loyalty and he's saying you are now loyal to other followers of Jesus Christ. And that anyone who wants to follow Christ is now in And those who have chosen not to follow Christ, well, that's their choice. He's saying, Peter, I don't care about your politics. I don't care about your preference. I don't care about the place of origin. I don't care about how many pennies you have in your bank account. If you follow me and he's following me, then we are a family. And friends, that's church. It breaks down all of the boundaries that we put up and levelizes the ground at the foot of the cross. But Jesus is mission focused. He doesn't allow us to get caught up in the kinds of things that we get caught up in. Whose family am I from? Or whose side am I on? I mean, these, this is a huge situation. And so I want you to visualize it this way. You have Jesus in the center. He's inside. He's in a party, a dinner party with sinners and tax collectors. And you have the disciples, and the disciples, at least six of them, let's say four to six, are kind of on the outside. You ever been to a party where you're just not 100% sure you want to be there? And you're just sort of hanging out on the outside. You're not really in, but you're not really out. Well, I I kinda think that's what the disciples were doing. And then you have the Pharisees who were the churchiest of churchy. They were the religious of religious. They were the ones who tried to keep everybody out and tried to tell you you weren't good enough and reminded you about your past and told you who your family was and every mistake you'd made would bring up and, and would try to just drive you absolutely crazy with guilt and regret and shame. And they were standing on the outside. And this conversation took place. And I don't know exactly how it took place, but I know that it does take place. And when the Pharisees saw that Jesus was inside with these people, they asked his disciples, because I think the disciples would have been kind of on the outside going, we think we're with him, but we're not sure we're with him because he's really gone a little crazy with this one. I mean, remember when Peter was in the boat and threw himself down and said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And Peter's like, yeah, I'm pretty sinful, but Matthew, are you kidding me? He's a gangster. They said, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, you may think the disciples knew all the churchy answers. I don't. And I think what happened is maybe James said, that's a good question. I'm gonna go ask him, (laughs) ask Jesus. I don't think he knew. Jesus, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Upon hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now, Jesus is hanging out with people who he just called sick, right? Maybe that was offensive, I don't know. It would be funny if it was, wouldn't it? You're hanging out at a party and you're like, I'm supposed to be with all these sick people. Matthew would be like, Jesus, isn't that a little harsh? Jesus kind of looks at him and elbows him and goes, Matthew... You're a tax collector, dude. He's like, yeah, that's right. I'm a sinner. And they all slap hands, right? We're sinners, right? Going to hell. At least we know people there. And so James runs back to tell the Pharisees. He tells the Pharisees. He's like, look, this is what Jesus said. He goes, Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've come to call the righteous, not sinners, or i sorry, I've, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. There really are three parts to this answer that Jesus gave. They're really interesting. The first one's logical. And Jesus basically says, look, you've diagnosed yourself, you Pharisees, you churchy people, as great rule followers, as people who brag about their beliefs and how many boxes they can check. Jesus says, you worry so much about the nuances and things nobody else cares about that you drive everyone else crazy. But he says, okay, I'm gonna give it to you. And Luke, the Pharisees called themselves righteous And Jesus said, they look down on everybody else. I'm gonna give it to you. But he's like, look, you say you're righteous. You say you're healthy. You say you're well. And you're saying that all of these people, my kind of people, my new friends, are the ones who don't deserve a relationship with me that they're sick. So if you're the doctor, why would you just lob a diagnosis over the wall and refuse to come in? Because you're worried you're gonna get sick too. Why are you so worried about your self image, your appearance, your religious-osity? What's wrong with you that if you think they need help, you wouldn't do something about it? And he said, if you're Right. If what you're saying is true, then where else would I be than with my people, inviting them to follow me? Well, the second thing here, and that's really interesting, is he gave an argument from Scripture. And his argument from Scripture was a quote from Hosea 6.6. And what Jesus was telling them was, what I'm really concerned about is your heart. And what I'm looking at is the motive behind what you do. What I'm looking at is, have you embraced the principles of following Jesus and your behavior has started to flow from these principles or have you just embraced the rules and are you just playing an exhausting game of Jesus says? He says, if you're just playing Jesus says, stop it. You're wearing yourself out and nobody else likes you. But look at these principles, these kingdom principles. and watch out because you might find yourself living a different way. Well, third, he makes an argument out of uh, his divine authority, the fact that he's God. And he says, I, I have the right to forgive sin. So of course, I'm going to forgive the people who I choose. And by the way, I'm going to forgive the people who want forgiveness. So you have a couple of groups here. You have a hyper-religious group of people who thought they were the best at church. They could win every Bible trivia game. They were the masters of the small group. You could never ask them a question that they couldn't come up with an answer for. They didn't just know what they thought the Bible said, they could even tell you what the address is of all of the verses in the Bible. I mean, they had it nailed. But what they didn't understand was grace, compassion, mercy, and love with an extra dose of humility. You have a group of broken people who knew they needed something else. And where was Jesus? He was with them. So Jesus would like you, my friends. Jesus is calling you. He's inviting you to be his friend. And as I mentioned before, if there's anything that a church, that our church, that I have done, that anyone has done to make you feel like you don't belong, it's our fault, not Jesus's. Jesus is inviting you to follow him. Now, following Jesus, don't go back in your mind to a time when you were six and walked an aisle and signed a card or a conversation you had with your grandma when you were nine or a youth camp experience at 14 or a mission trip at 22. I mean, look at your life today and ask the question, am I a follower of Christ? I mean, hold up the things you think about, the things we spend our money on, the things we spend our time doing. Does it, does it reconcile with this invitation to follow Christ? Are we in a relationship with him? Or are we simply just following some rules? I want to leave you with a couple of thoughts here as we, as we close. The recognition and acknowledgement of our own inadequacy is in itself an irreplaceable spiritual achievement. And I have a friend that I talked to recently who's going through AA. It's fascinating to me. Uh, I'm really excited that he's going through recovery, that he's taken some steps to be able to overcome the challenge that he's had in his life and amazed at the community and the sense of support that they have for each other as they deal with this. An Alcoholics Anonymous, a person who says, I'm an alcoholic, he understands that because of God's grace, everything in their life is about to change. I want you to think about the group of people who are inside the party We don't know what happened to all of them, but we know what happened to Matthew. Because of God's grace, what changed? Everything changed. I mean, Peter could have gone back to fishing. We see him do that twice in the story of the the Gospels. Once Matthew walked away from his tax franchise, from his organized crime syndicate, from, from his henchmen, from his position, there was no going back everything changed. But sometimes in church, we, hate, we say we're sinners. But we also say, you know what, because of God's grace, nothing in my life really needs to change at all. And that's a person who doesn't understand what following Jesus is all about, because grace is not about avoiding consequences. It's about wanting to become a Christ follower. Let me show you this last word here this word that that Jesus uses and it's it's powerful and it's what I want to leave you with. Jesus says, for I have not come to call the righteous. Now remember, that's the self-righteous. That's the self-proclaimed righteous. It's the religious, the hyper-churchy. I haven't come to call them, but people who know they need me who recognize their dependence on me, who need something else. Those are my people, those who, I, who I've come to call. Now the word call here is interesting. If I say to you, you know what? We ought to get together sometime. And you're like, yeah, we should do that. That's a level of friendliness, familiarity. Never happens. Next time you're in town, look me up, right? Let's grab dinner. Hey, call me sometime. I'd like to catch up with you. I mean. Well-intentioned, sure, if it happens, you wouldn't really, you know, worry about it happening. You'd like for it to happen, but you're not doing anything proactive to make it happen. There are a couple different words that Matthew could have used here that Jesus could have used specifically. And the words that Jesus used for call is friendly like that, but it's specific. Like if I was to say to you, let's have dinner And you said, yeah, we should do that sometime. And you're like, wait a second, what are we doing? Let's plan this. Get our phones out, our calendars. Next Thursday night, 6.30 p.m., Outback Steakhouse. I don't know where you'd want to go. Let's do it. It's there. I've responded to the call. I don't even know why I chose Outback. I don't even like Outback. It's the first thing that came to mind. But it's specific. It's in the calendar. Now we're going to Outback because I've answered the call. And Jesus is extending this invitation to you. Here's my call. Don't tell me you want to do it sometime, don't tell me the next time you're in town, don't tell me we should get together when things get rough. Don't tell me I'll look you up you know at the end of my life right before I'm ready to die so I can slip out of this life into the reality of heaven. Jesus is saying follow me. And follow me now. Because I have a totally different life in mind. Well, how does it happen? One step at a time. Over the next seven weeks, we're gonna be talking about what that looks like. So for those of you who've been around church a long time, or those of you who are just getting started, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And we're gonna take a hard and careful look at our relationship with Jesus with a lot of humility and an extra measure of grace. And our lives are gonna change. So you don't wanna miss next week. Father, thank you for my friends.